0: Good morning, Redeemer Church. Let me pray. God, do ask for your help. Um, Always need it. We always need it. We need your spirit to stir our hearts, to see Jesus. More clearly, he is, as the writer to the Hebrews says, infinitely superior to the angels, and that is... Our hearts are small, our minds are small, so I pray that your spirit would stir and kindle us to to see, to catch a vision for Jesus' glory, and to be transformed, to to worship God, to live out of that. So help me be helpful. Amen. We are continuing in our series in the book of Hebrews called Out of the Shadows. This idea is that Jesus is the substance. He's the real deal, and everything else is a shadow, and God is calling us out of that. Now, it doesn't mean we're leaving, right? Think of this. Jesus also tells us to be in the world, but not of the world, right? So we're living in this world that points to Christ. It is the shadows, and we're going to be here living and loving and sharing and giving and preaching, but it's not to be our foundation. That's the idea. Jesus is our hope, that our hope is in the shadows, and the hope needs to transfer into Christ. Where he becomes the center. So I want to ask you that. To what extent do you feel like Jesus is the center of your life, your thoughts, your heart, your passions, your practices? And for some of you, maybe that's something that's new to you. I can tell you that several years ago now, um, about three years after I got saved, Aubrey's sister, my wife's sister, sent a book to me that changed my life. The book was called Don't Waste Your Life. And I often joke, it was kind of insulting, right? Like, hey, I found this book. It's called How Not to Be a Dork. I thought of you. It's like, <laughs> you are wasting your life. And the book radically did shift my life where I realized Jesus was like uh, kind of part of a team of people or things that keep me happy. He's on the list, like I have a job, I have a wife, I have kids. You know, maybe I have some hobbies. And Jesus is there, too, as part of the lineup, right? Call him in when I need encouraged. Call him in when I need forgiven. What this book did was it raised Jesus Christ so high and made me realize some of the things that are in the book of Hebrews here, like he sustains the universe with the word of his power. All things were made through him, to him, and for him. Now he is the beginning and the end. He is the alpha and the omega. And it became this radical reorientation where I was like, he's not just part of life. He invades all of life. So, what does that mean then? How do I parent? How do I preach? How do I work? How do I respond to the government? How do I respond to my work when they're bringing things that I disagree with? What do I do with my words? How do I use my words? My money. Jesus invades all of that and has something to say and something to give and be for us. And for me, that was a radical reorientation. And I can tell you that it's hard to stay there, right? I remember those days, and I'm, I'm still sold on Jesus, but I can tell you that the fight is I can drift. And we'll get to this in the book of Hebrews. One of the common themes in the book of Hebrews is don't drift. Be careful lest you drift. And I can feel that pull back to the shadows, So maybe you've never had that initial experience, and I pray that the book of Hebrews is helpful for you in that, that you see Jesus in a whole new light, because this lifts up Christ high. Yes, we love the humanity of Jesus, and he's there with us, and he knows, and Hebrews gets into that, that he understands our suffering and our temptations. But he's also lifted up on high, seated at the right hand of God, ruling angels. There's this poem by a man named C.T. Studd, which says this. This is just one line of it. It says, only one life till soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's the mystery. How do we parent for Christ? Do we just go to church and then parent? Are these different things? Do I go to church and then go to work? How do I live at John Deere or Collins in such a way that it lasts for Christ, that it ripples into eternity? This is what Christ is calling us to. So we have to believe that he's big enough that that actually matters. That he's not just a religious figure that makes me feel better about my guilt, but that he is the Lord of the universe. And it does impact all of life. It impacts how we sing and play and dance and love. So we're gonna talk today about Jesus being much more superior to the angels. This is one of the ways he's superior, right? And the Hebrews is just gonna, it's a big long argument about Jesus's superiority to everything, his substance. And today we're talking about him being the king that rules and seated on the throne. So let me actually back up a little bit. We started the reading in verse 5. But if you back up to verse 3, about halfway through, it says this. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus made purifications for sins. That's his work on the cross. We'll come back to that. After doing that, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's ruling He's reigning, he's alive, and he's higher than the angels. And so, what you're going to get is this idea in here that whoever wrote this book is saying, I need you to know Jesus is higher than the angels. He's the highest being, even higher than angels. I wanted to do some work today on this idea of Jesus being the center of all of Scripture. I'm not going to have time, I don't have to punt on it. But let me just sum it up this way when you read the Old Testament, It's left wanting. Every prophet, every king, every ruler leaves you wanting. Every rule, every sacrifice, every journey, the land, the promises, they're all left wanting. And the question is, is life just going to be a recycling of failed hopes, or does this all suggest that there's something or someone else coming that we can put our hope in. And the answer is, it's Jesus. And so I'll do some more of this work as we work through Hebrews. But the the main point is this, wherever we're preaching, Jesus is the center. Jesus is the center of the scriptures. And the reason I bring this up is that when I go through these verses here where he's quoting the Old Testament, we go through this, you go back and look at those references, sometimes it can be a little confusing. For example, Psalm 2, the verse quoted here it's talking about David, right? So when you look at verse 5, it says, You are my son, today I have begotten you. You go back to Psalm 2, and it's talking about David. But the book of Hebrews is saying it's talking about Jesus. There's other verses that seem to be talking about Solomon. And then the, book, the writer of Hebrews says they're talking about Jesus. Deuteronomy 32, which is quoted here, is talking about God. Zoom in on this verse. Verse 6 says this. Let all God's angels worship him. That's from Deuteronomy 32, where Moses is praising God and saying, "Let all God's angels worship God." And now this guy is saying that's about Jesus. So there's a lot of, I can share. A lot of resources. You can spend years resource researching this and learning how to do it. And, but here's what we just need to know: Jesus is God. He's the center of the universe. The Bible's about him. The universe is about him. The Old Testament's about him. Every verse whispers his name, and the more you see it, every verse shouts his name. He is the center, all right? So that's all I'm going to say about that, but this will come up over and over again in the book of Hebrews. So let's talk about this King Jesus. He's being compared to angels. So what is an angel? It's a spiritual being created by God before he even created the world. So many of you remember we did the Acts of War series or we dipped into the book called The Unseen Realm, and it gets into these spiritual beings, right? Right? what's called the divine council or the sons of God, right? They're called the sons of God in many passages in the scriptures. And what are they? They're the spiritual beings through which God rules the world, right? The principalities and powers are often referred to, the sons of God, and that includes unfallen angels and fallen angels, demons, and Satan himself is a fallen angel. And this author comes out and says, I need you to know something. Jesus is better than the angels. But why bring that up? Some people suspect that maybe the Hebrews were being tempted to worship angels, and I don't think so. Because these are pretty faithful, kind of Jewish type people. Their temptation is to go back to the Old Testament and kind of leave Jesus and go back to the Old Covenant. I don't think they're worshiping angels, but what they have is a high view of angels because they understand. For us, we kind of relegate angels to the side. Right? How often do you think about angels? They're here. Verse 14 says, they are ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of all those who are to inherit salvation. That's you. Christian, you are those who are to inherit salvation. That means angels are ministering spirits sent out to serve. They're serving you. They're following you around. We hardly think about it. Which is why when we open up a book like The Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser, and we go, this is insane. What's going on? The Hebrews back then would have been like, of course. Sons of God. Created beings, spiritual beings. Spiritual beings. They have a high view of them. So let me ask you this. Just picture an angel right now. Imagine, what what do they look like? So at worst, you thought of like a little naked baby on a cloud or something like that. But maybe you pictured, um, I forget, this book is called the Dore Book of Bible Illustrations, I believe. It's kind of... All this great artwork from Bible stories. And the angels there, they're kind of like, they will wear white robes. And they may have wings. But other than that, they just kind of look like dudes. Right? It's like, well, it's a dude with a robe. It's a dude in a robe. Do you remember in uh, Infinity War, when the guardians came across Thor floating in space? When he crashed up against their and they, they brought him in. And Star-Lord's like, uh, who's this dude? And Drax is like, this is not a dude. You're a dude. This is a man. <laughs> a handsome, muscular man. It's like a pirate had a baby with an angel. That's what he says. <laughs> and then Gamora's like, it's like his muscles are made of katati metal fibers, and Star-Lord's getting jealous. you know. Like that's the idea, is you've come across something that's more than a man. These angels appear throughout scripture, and every time men fall down to worship. Let me give you one description out of Daniel 10 of an angel. Is this what you pictured? And this isn't going to do it justice, even though it's the word of God, right? Because actually seeing it would be something. Daniel's been suffering, struggling, he's praying for help. God sends a ministering spirit to serve him. I lifted up my eyes and looked says, Daniel, and behold, a man clothed in linen. Okay, so far so good, right? Man in a robe. Okay. With a belt of fine gold around his waist, his body was like beryl. Had to look that up. It's like an emerald. Oh, right? Totty metal fibers. His body was like emerald. His face like the appearance of lightning his eyes like flaming torches his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and the sounds of his words like the sound of a multitude so us singing here this morning nothing the angel speaks the sound of a multitude this is an angel jesus made them he made them he is infinitely higher Verse 14, right? They're ministering spirits sent out to serve. And you can go read the book of Daniel chapter 10 and you can hear how this angel's, I mean, Daniel's faint. He can't hardly talk and the angel's ministering to him and getting an idea of kind of how that works. But they are ministering spirits sent out to serve. Okay, who's doing the sending? The answer is Jesus. They serve him. He made them. They serve him. Yes, the Hebrews have a high view of angelology, and these are incredibly powerful beings that run the nations under the, under the direction of God. And there's a risk here that they may think that Jesus might just be like one of them because the angels helped deliver the word of God, and Jesus came to bring the word of God. Maybe he's just an angel like them. And he's saying, no, 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 no. And then he's going to go make arguments here. Watch this. Let's go back to verse three and a half. After making purification for sins, he, Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And he says, well, let's look at what God says about Jesus versus what God says about angels. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you. Now, there's a sense in where all the angels are the sons of God. We call them that, right? The sons of God. All believers, whoever believe, are granted the right to be called the sons of God. But there's the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. Eternally begotten, he sent his one and only son. Well, is he his one and only son or not? Yes, in that sense. We are adopted, right? Even the angels were created. The Christ is uncreated. Eternally begotten son, he's a unique son. And this language, you are my son, today I have begotten you, that's enthronement language. That's what God said to David when he gave him the throne. You are my son, today I have begotten you. But guess what? David failed, and it leaves you hoping. Is there an actual son? Is there an actual king that can actually reign? Is there a king that won't betray his bride? Is there a king that won't lie, cheat, and steal like David did? And the answer is yes, which is why Christ comes to fulfill that. And he is the son. He is seated on the throne. Or again, he continues, to which of the angels did he ever say? I will to him be a father and he shall to me be a son. There is a uniqueness in Christ, in the personhood of Christ. The direct, eternal, joyful communion with the Father. Everything else came after that. The angels came after that. We came after that. The earth came after that in all of history, in all of eternity, beyond prehistory, right? Outside of time, there's the Father and the Son having a unique, loving, joyful relationship. Jesus is higher than the angels. And again, verse 6, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. So here's the relationship between Jesus and the angels. The angels worship him. You're only supposed to worship one being. Who's that? God. He's saying Jesus is God. He is the radiance of the glory of God in an exact representation of his nature. He is God made visible. God manifest. Verse 7, of the angels he says, he makes his angels wins and his ministers a flame of fire. That's pretty good. Yeah, you know, that's not a bad, imagine that was your job description. I'm a flame of fire. Oh, yeah, that's pretty good, but it's not Jesus' job description, which is the angels worship me. Those flames of fire, they worship me. They worship me. But of the Son, verse 8, he says, Your throne, O God, he's calling him God, is forever and ever, right? That's that uncreated, unlike the angels which were created. His throne is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. You could probably spend a long time just in that passage, but the idea here is that he reigns forever in uprightness and holiness. This is language that's attributable to God only. And here's more words for Jesus from the Father. You, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning. Right? We come back to this idea that Jesus created the world. You get it? Here's the main point. He's higher than the angels. Angels are incredible. Angels are unbelievable. We would fall down and be tempted to worship if we saw one. And they would say, no, get up. We're all to worship him. He's enthroned. He's the king. The heavens are just the work of your hands. Right? The heavens are like a garment. 11. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. It's hard for us to imagine that because we're so short-lived, right? But how could the heavens be like a garment? And we talk about Jesus coming and rending the skies. Now go back to Hebrews, the first sermon in Hebrews where he's the substance and he upholds all these things with the power of his word. There's shadow. He can undo it with the word. He can tear it like a garment. These are not the role, this is not the role of angels. This is Christ. Verse 12, like a robe, you will roll them up like a garment, they will be changed. But you, Jesus, are the same, and your years will have no end. And again, <laughs> verse 13, to which of the angels? These angels got to be feeling bad, you know, just like just like dissing them. But they're not. They love it. To which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand? So the angels have a role, and they're used by God, and he reigns through them, but they don't sit at the right hand of the Father. They're in the throne room on their knees on their knees. And Jesus is seated, ruling, reigning. And again, verse 14, they are ministering spirits. So I do want to encourage us to know that, that we do have ministering spirits. And it's part of how God runs this and cares for us and encourages us and gives us faith. But they all serve Jesus. They're sent by Him. He's ordering the whole thing. Right? So... He is seated on the throne. Why? Look back at uh, where we started, verse three and a half. It says this. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What I want to argue is that it's not just after making purification for sins that he sat at the right hand of the Father, but it's because... Now, this just says after, but let me take you to another passage. This is Philippians 2. There's another one in Hebrews that describes this, but I couldn't find it this morning. Philippians 2. Familiar passage. Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, right? Familiar with this passage? It says this Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He went to the cross and made purification for sins. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Jesus is exalted because Jesus was humiliated. Jesus rules, sits at the right hand of God because he made purification for sins. He is highly exalted because he was highly humiliated. Right? The path to exaltation is humiliation right? Whoever desires to, whoever humbles himself will be exalted, right? But whoever exalts himself will be humbled. The path to exaltation is humiliation. It's because he made purification for sin. It's because he gave his life for us. Let's go back to Thor, false god, right? But even the false gods are a shadow, right? So I'm not up to my mythology. I don't really know the story of Thor. I just get my mythology from Marvel, like most of you do. But I actually just rewatched Thor 1 with my daughter. And if you remember, most of you, many of you have seen this. Thor is like, he's young, upcoming, you know, heir to the throne. He's just brash and proud. He's foolish, makes foolish decisions, you know, leads a war. Outside of his father's authority, his father exiles him, right? He's cast down to earth and stripped of all his powers, basically. And because he was exalting himself, and so his father humbled him, right? Then so what happens in, you know, in Asgard is his brother Loki takes over, and he hates Thor, and so he sends this destroyer, this robot to destroy Thor, and you know, he's killing all these people, and Thor realizes, I have to give myself, or he's going to kill all these people. And So there's this moment where he humbles himself, and he just goes and offers himself to the destroyer, and the destroyer kills him. He dies. And then in that death, because he humbled himself, the powers that be granted him new life, restored his powers, and he woke up and destroyed the destroyer, right? Now, why is that a great story? Why do they write that in the movies? Because it's a shadow. It's a shadow. It's a tr- is that true, Marvel writers? Like, you think about this. Is that actually true? Is this just some nonsense? Like, is it true that the path to glory is in the dirt, is it true that the way to the throne is through the cross? Is it truth? And it is truth. That's why it's in every story and why we love it. Now, the difference between Thor and Jesus, among many things, is that Thor had to change. Thor grew up. Jesus was just revealed. Right? He didn't start off brash and harsh and sinful and proud Jesus, eternally begotten forever in the image of God, is the essence of love and humility and self-sacrifice. And the earth is his stage to make that visible, right? And now when that's made visible, right, and it's manifested, as Philippians 2 describes, that he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's revealed who he is and his right to sit at the right hand of God and inherit the throne. It's who he's always been. These are things that Peter says are things into which angels long to look. This is the truth, right? I know it. I see it here. I see it in my life. I see it in the the movies, and then I resist it. Gosh. Peter says these are things in which angels long to look. We need to look at this. What does that mean that the path to glory is through the cross? And what does that mean for us? Let me tell you a story. The other day I was driving. I'm a fairly aggressive driver. Some of you know that. Um, I usually like to take the outside lane, like where most people aren't, and then like get in front, you know? I like to be in front. I like to exalt myself, you know? So I'm out there. I'm in this left lane that's gonna merge, and I see this Golf GTI. You know those little cute little cars back there? And I'm like, all right, we got room. I'll I'll just merge over. This guy goes, he punched it and pulled up next to me, right, and took the spot to the point where, like, I either got to run off the road or I got to back up and yield, which is what I did. But I was offended. I'm not kidding. I was inordinately, inordinately offended. It took me back to, like, high school days when I was like, I'm going to follow this guy and we're going to have a talk. <laughs> I literally thought that. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you're a 50-year-old pastor. Like... But what happened was my ego was uh, Offended. Why is it because I have such a big ego? No, it's because it's so small. It fits in a Volkswagen GTI. He was driving off with it. (laughs) I think about this. Like we think, you can't have such a big ego. Like what empowered Jesus to humble himself? It's that he knew who he was. It's he knew his glory. He didn't feel the need to prove it. I think when it says, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, it means that it's not something he has to prove. Right? His ego's not getting away in a GTI and he has to grasp it. He knows who he is. He knows whose he is. His father has told him who he is. You are my son. Now go. And he walks in that. Right? So in terms of plumbing the depths of this mystery, I guess we'll spend all of life and beyond exploring that. But what I do want us to know is this. The power for it, to embrace it, to walk in it, in any sense, is to know who we are. Right? To not have small egos, It sounds almost blasphemous, right? But to know how much you matter to God, such that when this guy pulls up next to you, you're untouchable because he's not the source of your joy and affirmation in life. And neither is your boss who's cruel. And neither is the government who's unjust. And neither is your wife who bites at you. And neither are your kids who disrespect you. And neither is this world that mocks you for your faith. They are not the source of your joy and power. Christ is, and he has become to us a father. Yes, Jesus is preeminent, eternally begotten. We are not eternally begotten, but we are begotten. We are adopted. We are uh, grafted in. We are one. We are the bride. We have become part of the family. So we need to lean into that. Listen, we also are being made higher than the angels. We talk about later in the book of Hebrews how Jesus for a little while was made lower than the angels, which means what? Put on par with man. Okay, but then what? He resurrected, and he's doing what? Taking us with him to be seated with him, and Paul tells us we will rule the angels. Jesus is higher than the angels. So are you. They serve you. So yeah. I want to encourage you, right? This is, this is what we need to know, who Jesus is, who we are in him. He has made purification for sin, and he's taken us home with him. We are seated with him, right? So I'm out of time. I got a, all kinds of other notes in here that God didn't want you to hear today, right? So I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the response team up, and we are going to worship Jesus, right? Let all the angels worship him. Let all heaven and earth worship him. Let the sons worship Worship him. We were made to worship something, someone much bigger, much greater. Let him captivate your heart and imagination. That's the reason I think these Marvel movies are so popular, is that they are tapping into our need for a super story, right? And I'm telling you, we've got one. So let's worship Jesus it will also be an opportunity to give. I made that really easy. You can just do that through your phone on text. Um, it's an opportunity to respond to who God is, what he's done through this church, through Jesus, and to support the mission. So thank you for that. If you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you. If you believe God has revealed something to you for the church, a word, a prophecy, something that he wants Redeemer Church to know, that he's spoken to you, I would ask that you submit that to Glenn. Here in Cedar Rapids and the MC in Cedar Falls. And we're going to take communion. Right? So, this is a time to come and remember, right? The path. You keep coming back to this. Why did Jesus choose this as the way to remember him? Why didn't he give you like a little cave with a stone and say, Roll this away every Sunday to remember me? I mean, he did resurrect, and it matters. It's part of the gospel. But, he, but here's the thing. I just think that's, a, that's, a, that's easy to desire. Victory. The cave bursting forth, right? The stone rode away. Everybody wants that. Nobody wants the cross. And he wants us to know that that's the way to it. Yes, life. Yes, joy. Yes, victory. It comes through the cross. Look to me. I got that after I made purification for sins. So follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Remember this. Remember this long to look into this. So this is one of the ways we look into it, right? Angels long to look into this. This is one way. We take the bread, we take the cup, and we look into this mystery, this mystery that he humbled himself so that he would be exalted, right? Jesus teaching his disciples about this the night before he was crucified, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So let's come look into these things. God, we love you, and we are in awe of the way you are. So draw us into that. Give us spiritual insight and understanding. Give us strength with all the saints to comprehend the height and breadth and depth of love that is in your son, Jesus. Amen.